0: It's the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews and Zara McDonald. Hello, Zara McDonald. Hello, Annabelle Lee. We've had a disagreement. And we about have had us. a big disagreement before <laughs> we've come online. And I did not, I rejected your instructions. My instructions to Zara every week are... No, not every week, just this week. Well, After three and a half years, you finally have this V in your bonnet about us always saying your name first. Secretly
1: in my head, every <laughs> week that Zara does the intro, I think, say your own name first.
2: Don't confuse the first time listeners of this episode. You're Zara McDonald, I'm Michelle Andrews, you
1: introduce yourself first. No, it's kind to introduce somebody else first. That is the decent thing to do. <sighs> when you intro, do you say your name first? I say my name's Michelle Andrews yours are McDonald I make it very clear who each of us is You know what the
0: listeners can do the mental gymnastics themselves <laughs> Hey coming up on today's show the social media comments about me <laughs> Spark <laughs> sorry this was written as zara that sparked a conversation about women smugness and pick me culture then brooke blurton's bachelorette finale makes twitter erupt the celebrity cheating rumor that's looking increasingly legit and then a curious mailbag that we cannot wait to talk about what do you do when you're shamed in front of hundreds of thousands of people but first (laughs) michelle how was your week
2: I had an up and down week. I refuse to get on the microphone and say that everything was great because it was a week of highs and lows and that's okay. I'm a little bit burnt out. One of the interesting things that happened to both of us, Zara, if you'd like to take my hand and join me in our joint week story, is that
0: we think... looked at your <laughs> hands <laughs> like, I was
1: like I think... sweaty
2: today. <laughs> uh, <I> thanks <don't> <laughs> no, like Let's go. We were witnesses in a court case late last week and thankfully got the verdict that we wanted in that court case. But it was a really interesting lesson for me in how That system of society functions, the judicial system. Like, I really didn't know very much about how these things happen, the timelines you need to go along to kind of get justice or get the result you wanted. We had to testify about something we had witnessed two and a half years ago, and that proved to be a very
0: difficult, challenging, but also semi rewarding experience. Yeah, well, it's so interesting because as I was going through it, I was like, gosh, this reminds me, this is kind of a niche reference, but of one of the earlier episodes of the podcast Serial because they have this really interesting discussion of could you remember what happened to you two years ago on a random Tuesday afternoon? Mm. And I was like, um, nah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're forced to do it. But it's it's not exactly as simplistic as could you remember because at the time you give statements and things like that. So mm. it's really just pouring back over your old words. But it is really interesting how memory works because there were things that I wrote down and said at the time that I was clearly very passionate about. But your mind just sort of completely forgets, It like evaporates out of your mind. And I remember reading my old words being like, oh, yeah, that did happen. Yeah. And I have not thought about that in two years. Another niche reference. It reminds me, <laughs> if I may, of that game that Hamish and Andy play, which is like, tell me someone I haven't thought of in, in a X while. amount of years. Yeah. Because it's just remarkable how you can think something so passionately or know something's so so passionately for a time, and then it disappears. Yeah,
2: absolutely. It was just a fascinating experience. It was something I've never done in my entire life. But huge respect for anyone who is involved in that side of things. I was very intimidated to kind of give my testimony in front of the person that I was accusing of doing something wrong. That is also <laughs> like a very disorienting experience. But... Especially for a big people pleaser. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. My entire brain was like, "Shut up, shut up!" I'm like, "I can't shut up." There's like a judge here yeah. and like important people. Anyway. It was good. It was fine. I have a recommendation for the week that is extraordinarily basic, bitch. Yes, but I think that is the mood, is it not? (laughs) It is. It is. (laughs) I'm burnt out, guys. I'm burnt out. I'm tired. And all my mind is willing to absorb right now is the sugariest of the sugary content. I have inhaled season four of Selling Sunset on Netflix Do either of you watch
0: Selling Sunset? I did watch the first season. Oh, okay. So you don't like it enough to continue? I feel like this is the theme of every (laughs) single thing. It's not that I don't like it. I just never get around to
2: it. Yeah, fair enough. It's, look... For anyone who watches it, it's not the most intelligent content you will ever watch. Yes, it is incredibly soapy and frothy. Excuse me, this is a podcast called Shameless. It would be good of you to abide by that. (laughs) And I have no shame about it. I'm just saying it's not the most highbrow content you will ever consume in your life. It's just easy content. I think it is perfect for this time of year when we are all crawling to the finish line. Nice work. What about you? Do you have a story from your week or was our story combined?
0: No, I don't really have a story. It's December. That was all I was going (laughs) to say. It is December. It is Mariah Carey season. I'm about to go get my Christmas tree. Committed every single year to getting a real Christmas tree, even though I'm allergic to it. I think that is true Christmas spirit, if I may. Every year. Every year I see you break out in hives and complain (laughs) about
2: this fucking tree. No,
0: it's because every single year up until this year, I've committed to try and decorate it as well. But this year I have to hand the baton to Ollie to decorate it for me. And I swear he just leaves bald patches to annoy me because I can't (laughs) fix it. But I am excited. I'm happy to be here. It is a delight to be in December with the both of you. We have survived so far. (laughs) I do have a recommendation. It's a bit random, but often mine. Ah, I have a cookbook for you if you are that way inclined. Are either of you that way inclined? Sure. We do eat, so yeah. (laughs) I think that's a polite no, but that's so fine. We recently bought one of the better cookbooks I've ever owned. It is called Everything I Love to Cook by Neil Perry. Now I have to put on the record this was recommended to me by a friend. Emily, thank you. I will not own this. I will not pretend it's my recommendation. It is a fat cookbook. Mish, I had it delivered to the office and I showed you. And I thought, isn't it remarkable how chefs sell all their ip for like 50 bucks. Mm. It is a ridiculous deal when you think about it. That book is jam packed with recipes. There are like 100 sandwich recipes alone. Exactly. It is amazing. I gave it to Ollie the other day cuz he's the kind of the cook in our house. I can't really cook. I just eat. And he was losing it over it. Like absolutely losing it. So if you're interested in a gift over the holiday season or just want to get it for yourself, I really think this could be A good recommendation of mine. We're very grateful for it. Hey, we are starting the show in a little bit of a different manner today. It is time for our first segment, though, and we are starting with... And that's my two cents. (laughs) It's...
1: Kent Brockman. <laughs> Kent obviously Brockman. Not Ken Brockman. Not
2: Ken. No way. No way is it, Ken. We are massive Simpsons fans here. Of course, <laughs> to use a Simpsons reference, you have to be a colossal fan. And, and we you... would never mistake the name of Kent.
0: Kent Brockman. For Ken Brockman. We've never done that on the show before. <laughs> Mish, you are coming to the table with My Two Cents because you wanted to start the show here today. I am, my dear
1: friends. My Two Cents for this week is... Drumroll, please.
0: It's really acoustic. A low production here at (laughs) Checklist.
2: It's a
1: grassroots
2: operation over here. Okay, my my two cents for the week is I find it strange how much some women derive smug joy from telling other women that they put too much effort into their (laughs) appearance. Now, this feels loaded. (laughs) (laughs) This came to me this week. Zara did not suggest this segment. I suggested it to her because what happened was we put up a sponsored video of Zara doing a tutorial this week. Now, before we get into any of it, Zara, this was entirely our decision and our discretion to talk about this. Entirely unsponsored. We just found ourselves having such a big conversation about this organically, we knew it had to be a segment.
0: Yeah. And I think we've said this a lot over the last three and a half years, but every single decision we make is our decision on this show. No one listens to this podcast apart from you, me and Annabelle before it goes out. So that on the record straight away. Now that that's out of the way, I remember when you
2: shot this video and you showed it to me in the office before it went live, I was like drilling you with praise being like you have nailed this your hair looks gorgeous look how far you've come work with woo girls (laughs) yeah we are all woo girls in the shameless office everyone adored this video because your hair looks gorgeous you did such a good job and I was like just obsessed with it what I was really surprised to see though is when we did put it up on Instagram and while the majority of feedback was praise and parroting exactly what we were saying in the shameless office there was this weird kind of undercurrent of women saying quite curious things – So when you looked past the comments and said, this looks so good, I'm saving this for future reference, you found comments like this. And yes, these are direct quotes from that Instagram (laughs) post. There are also comments that you're not going to be able to find if you're listening to this and you want to go do a snoop. We have removed these, not because we can't handle negative feedback, but because we do not want to send hundreds of thousands of listeners after these women who left these comments with no idea they were going to be a podcast segment. Here's my first one. Whoa, that's a lot of work. (laughs) If showering, skincare, getting ready takes more than 20 mins, it's a no from me. That's precious resting in bedtime. Another comment, looks exhausting. Another comment, my goodness, that looks like so much effort. How do you take the time for this once let alone
0: often. So it was quite funny. I will put on the record. <laughs> I'm fine. I, t- I tell you what. I've, um, How do you have so much time in your hands, Zara? <laughs> I'm all right. Of all the comments we get and they come in thick and fast every day. These were quite kind. <laughs> um, no, I wasn't worried about this, but it did spark a really interesting conversation that we had in the office between a few of us, because we had this conversation and we're like, what is it about the subtleness of criticism f- often from women to other women, that kind of derides them for taking pride in how they look or for taking time to put in effort for how they look. And it's like, what are the undercurrents that are existing here? And what are people actually trying to say in saying that? Mm,
2: It reminds me a lot of a comment that I've received over the years, plenty of times, which is, Wow, aren't you cold in that outfit? Or like that inference that you have not dressed for the weather and you are showing far too much skin for it to be deemed appropriate for the event that you're at. Now, this was something that we saw on TikTok recently from a wonderful creator called Delaney Rowe, who's experienced the same thing. Here's a snippet of her TikTok video.
1: I'm gonna say it, one of the most passive-aggressive moves that you can pull is asking somebody who's worn, like, spaghetti straps on a cold night, aren't you cold? It's like, first of all, you're not even concerned about my comfort, Brittany. I haven't heard from you in six months. Second of all, it's a sacrifice that I made for the outfit, and you know that. You're just trying to make me self-conscious about my bold choices, you bitch.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, that is, like the most bang on thing ever it was 10 out of 10 I think Ray, who heads up our partnerships at shameless sent that to us and we were all like I've never thought about that being one of the more passive aggressive things that someone can say to a woman and then as this conversation started about the hair video and about taking time we're like these comments all fall in the same basket Mm. of you care too much about how you look for one the cold video is such It's such a slap in the face to be like, you don't want to wear enough clothes because you think you look good or something like that. Or you've picked that outfit before you've checked the weather and you don't want to change your mind because you think you look good. Is that what people are trying to say? Yeah, I think so.
2: Another big one that I've received before, sometimes people will say, oh, what are the makeup products you have on or like run us through your makeup routine? So on occasion on my Instagram stories, I've broken down the makeup products that I've put on my face. And without a doubt, every time I do that, <laughs> despite people asking for it, some people will come back and be like, looks beautiful. So much money to spend on your makeup, though, or like so much effort to put into one makeup look. I could never have that many
0: products. I just put on concealer and mascara and leave the door. Other ones that are like, I would get so bored doing yeah. that. And it's like, OK, that's totally fine. Like, this doesn't have to be a you thing, but this is a me thing. And I think this conversation made me think a lot about how obsessive women are, At often women, at messaging each other. That before events to check what someone else is wearing. And it's like, we do that because we are expected to try to a certain level, but we're not expected to try too hard. Mm. So it's like, we often have this nervous social energy before we go out because we don't want to look like we take ourselves too seriously. And I think all of this fits in the same bracket of ways that we are told we have to kind of exist in this prism of be good, but not too good. Yeah, absolutely. It's also, it reminds me of this idea that,
2: like, you need to fit to our expectations of you. You need to be beautiful and fit the beauty standard that we societally accept is the norm or, like, the desired look for a woman. But please do so naturally, instantaneously, invisibly without any effort. Like, you should just be that way. And if you platform any of the ways that you make that beauty standard achievable, we find it off-putting. And all of a sudden, you're not just making it achievable, but you're also going so far that we find you, like your
0: priorities to be off kilter? It's that for me. I think it's this strange idea that we should all be above the patriarchy and that we all have, whoever buys into this stuff, be it makeup, skincare, hair, whatever it might be, that we have warped priorities. It has this vibe of, oh, I thought you were better than that. Like, Mm. I really did think you were better than that. And I think as I get older, I'm starting to realize how many tiny passive aggressive comments we are told and we are fed to make us feel shame about certain things. I mean, for us, one of the first lightbulb moments was about celebrity and pop culture, hence why we started this podcast. But as I get older, it's remarkable the kinds of things that I've just internalised and just taken on Mm. without realising. Stuff like, aren't you cold? Stuff like, oh, that takes way too much effort and you care too much.
2: Yeah, I think as well, it's also this policing of women's time. Like, I often don't hear much Debate around how often men are spending on football games or how much time they are spending on their computer playing video games. So much of it is, oh, well, how are women spending our time? And I think there's this subtle inference when someone's saying, God, I could never spend 20 minutes on my hair. Like, how do you have the time for this every single day? The inference to me is, you as a woman should be dedicating your time not to yourself. To spend it on yourself is self indulgent and arrogant and not what we want from you. You should be spending your time on other people, which is reasserting this idea that your main job is to either care for other people or be productive in every area of your life all the time.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like this weird dichotomy going on because I think The conversations that we're having are all about how we need to put ourselves first. And I think the conversations that we're having at the moment are around self-care and self-care looking like whatever you define it to be, just spending time on yourself. But I do think some of our subconscious actions that are rooted in internalized misogyny actually do actively work against that. We just don't realize that we're really all talking about the same thing. Mm. I think what's been interesting and I don't think is surprising is that on TikTok at least, there definitely feels like a rise in the narrative around the pick me girl mm. and this was the other thing that kind of came up in our conversations for the unacquainted if you've not heard of this concept of the pick me girl I really do think it's just a new age term for the cool girl yeah it basically describes a kind of woman who prides herself on not being like the other girls, someone who doesn't know how to do her makeup who wouldn't spend 20 to 30 minutes on her hair who is generally low maintenance and is beautiful in that way that you described me to that sort of I am naturally beautiful, don't have to try, therefore I'm low maintenance too.
2: Yeah, it's almost, it's befuddling to me that you have to try or that you want to
0: try when I can
2: just leave the house and I've already done it.
0: And I think to end this sort of conversation on a more positive note, I do think there is a groundswell of younger women. I think they're younger than us on TikTok who are pushing back against that narrative because they're pushing back against the pick me girl. And they're saying like, Mm. I don't want to be that. I want to own the things that I like and the things that I care about. And I refuse to act any other way just to make other people feel comfortable.
2: Thank you. Next bitch. And now it's time for the Quick and Dirty. As always, we are bringing you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity and pop culture news cycle. Zara, very happy that we're officially in December, McDonald. What have you
0: got for us? My first story. Sophie Turner joked about Joe Jonas fingering co-stars, actresses (laughs) and a supermodel or two. That is from Pedestrian TV. What a headline. Now, in case you missed it, Netflix has dropped the Jonas Brothers Family Roast. And it involved all their partners, Mish, along with like a slew of famous faces like Pete Davidson. Pete Davidson, Jack Whitehall, John Legend and
2: Niall Horan from One Direction, along, of course, with Priyanka Chopra and Sophie Turner. Now, before we talk about what was actually said at this family roast, can we talk about the concept of roasts themselves? This is something that America seems to be obsessed with. And every time it happens...
0: (laughs) I want to die from cringeworthiness. I think the natural human thing is to centre yourself in everything. And I think, how would I handle that? And I'm like, I wouldn't. I would shrivel up and
2: die. But it's also like, okay,
0: so I watched this
2: for research purposes, of course. I would not have clicked on it if we weren't going to talk about it in this episode. And they opened this family roast with like a dramatised sequence of events between the Jonas Brothers of them having like a food fight and then like being dressed up as gladiators or something (laughs) and like the entire time i was watching it being like i find this so just incredibly awkward and uncomfortable i'm also sorry for any jonas brothers fans
0: were they a bigger deal in america than they were in australia to me, anyway, I I think that there were people that liked them here. I mean, gosh, talk about roast. This comment might just get me in the centre of my own. I don't think people here were as obsessed. Guys, you're sitting in a room with a Jonas Brothers fan. <laughs> were you a Jonas I fan? I used to
1: watch the TV show as a kid as well. What, on the what TV channel? show was it? Jonas. And, and, and what was the allure? So it was like them in high school playing fictionalised versions of themselves. But why did you like it? I don't know, but I listened to their music as well.
0: Amazing. Is this one of
1: those things, sometimes we talk
2: with Annabelle about there being a generational (laughs) divide, despite (laughs) there being like, what, three or four years between us. This must be one of those three or four years generational divides that we missed. It must be. Was Saturday Disney not a huge thing for you guys? Um, Sorry, Annabelle. Saturday Disney was a huge thing, but it was all about like Hannah Montana. I didn't have Foxtel. (laughs) Saturday Disney was on like Channel What?
0: Shut up. Shush now. (laughs) (laughs) It was. I don't know what the fuck I did with my childhood. People talk about stuff. I'm like, what did I do? Maybe you were just outside playing That's what I tell everyone. Like I was an outdoors kid, but I wasn't. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, I agree with you, Mish. There is something about the Jonas Brothers that I still find, oh, dare I say, a tiny bit cringe even to (laughs) this day. And this roast wasn't any different. I want to play a couple of clips from the roast. We'll start with Sophie Turner and lead into Priyanka Chopra's Roast. Let's talk about the purity rings. (laughs) For those of you
1: who who don't know, purity rings are worn to demonstrate that you're abstaining from sex before marriage. And the Jonas Brothers, they all had them. This was about faith. This was about principle. This was about taking a stand and setting an example. Look, Joe Jonas wasn't just sticking his fingers in some dumb metal rings. He was sticking his fingers in co-stars, actresses, (laughs) and... And even a supermodel or two. Nick and I have a 10 year age gap. Yeah. Yes. We do. And there are many 90s pop culture references he doesn't understand. And I have to explain them to him. Which is fine because we teach each other. We teach each other things. He showed me how to use TikTok, for example. You know, and I showed him what a successful acting career looks like. Pretty good
2: from both women. Like I found the roast in its entirety to be a pretty bad viewing experience, but Priyanka Chopra and Sophie Turner really did provide the best entertainment. Absolutely, props to both of them. Yeah. Also,
0: I think Sophie Turner did a pretty good job because she really went there and went hard. Yeah. Well, I think Sophie Turner is amazing, and I do think she brings this like level of freshness to Mm. the Jonas Brothers, as if she's like Meghan Markle in the royal family. Like, brings a level of like modernity. (laughs) Modernity. (laughs) Is that a word? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's right. Don't look at me like (laughs) modernity to the Jonas Brothers. I I think they needed some freshness. I don't
2: think it's modernity. I think she brings cool factor. Sophie Turner's cool and people love Sophie Turner
0: and she's genuinely funny. I find the Jonas Brothers to be not that funny. You know what? We will find out on your say Friday tomorrow. People will really, really weigh in about this one. My second story, Brooke Blurton on The Bachelorette Australia Backlash. I was frustrated with the level of biphobia. That is from The Guardian.
2: Yeah, so Brooke Blurton picked David as her final love match. Is that even a thing? Final just, love just match? Final and future love match. Final and future love match. Of course, late last week, it proved that Zara McDonald is our eternal beloved oracle, because you got it right for the
0: like thousandth time. I would like to retire. <laughs> I would like to retire while I'm going out You're on a high. You're not fucking retiring. I just know I'm going to fuck it up soon and then everyone won't believe me. We should have a Zara McDonald is over party when she gets it wrong. <laughs> That's actually kind of funny. I keep going just for that. So yeah, as we said, David won. Jamie Lee, who came runner up, was really upset naturally. She was really in love with Brooke by kind of the end of the season. Now, what was really troubling about a lot of the commentary online once the finale aired, Mish, was the level of biphobia that was levelled at Brooke. Mm. One of the tweets that we think kind of encapsulates the sentiment was this. I am so happy I didn't waste my time to watch all the episodes of The Bachelor AU to find out Brooke still chose a man at the end and not a woman. What a disappointment.
2: Super interesting. I mean, I had friends who were telling me as the season was going on, oh, I'm nervous about the finale. I feel like she's going to cop it if she picks a man instead of a woman. I feel like a bunch of people will say she's not really bisexual if that's the case. And when my friends were telling me this, I was like, surely we're past that. Surely we're at a place where we accept that a bisexual woman would pick whoever she damn well pleases because that is her sexuality and that's who she identifies as. And yet they were absolutely right. And unfortunately, Brooke was on the receiving end of some ridiculous commentary online. The night of the finale, quite late the night of the finale, she tweeted out, man, oh man, Twitter expressing this level of biphobia is hugely disappointing. No words. She then spoke about this to The Guardian and said, I really opened myself up this season and showed so much vulnerability in doing it. And I did it bloody proudly. I loved it. And I'm still friggin' bisexual. Just because I'm with David doesn't mean my attraction to women just stop stops. David said, it was pretty disheartening to read the online comments, being such a big groundbreaking TV series, people obviously wanted a certain result. So I get that.
0: Yeah, I think for me still, it shows a complete lack of understanding about bisexuality and what it means to actually be attracted to two different types of people. Like just because you fall in love with a man doesn't mean, as Brooke said, her ability to fall in love with women just disappears.
2: Or her attraction to women or interest in women like that is still a part of her that I can imagine would be incredibly frustrating to. Feel like that's been erased
0: on her behalf. Yeah, exactly. My third story Virgil Abloh, Louis Vuitton designer and style visionary, dies at 41. That is from The Washington Post. Now, really sad news out of the fashion industry this week with news that the legendary fashion designer Virgil Abloh died. At the age of 41, after a really private battle with cancer, he is survived by his wife, Shannon. He has been with her since high school mm-hmm. and he has two children, low and Ray. His death, Mish, was announced via a statement posted on his Instagram.
2: Yeah, that statement read, we are devastated to announce the passing of our beloved Virgil Abloh, a fiercely devoted father, husband, son, brother, and friend. For over two years, Virgil valiantly battled a rare aggressive form of cancer, cardiac angiosarcoma. He chose to endure his battle privately since his diagnosis in 2019, undergoing numerous challenging treatments, all while helming several significant significant institutions that span fashion, art and culture.
0: It looked like he was really working right to the end and from all reports, there really didn't seem to be many people that knew Mm. about this diagnosis beyond those in his closest circle. So a bit of background on Virgil and why the fashion industry is mourning so much. In 2012, he founded the Milan-based label Off-White and he served as the CEO until he died. He was also the menswear director at Louis Vuitton, which made him the black artistic director in Louis Vuitton's history. Mm. I think what's been really interesting, fascinating, but also devastating about watching the tributes flow in is how consistent they have been. He is described so much as a genius artist, a like total visionary, and one of the most influential people in the fashion industry. Also as someone who's just like incredibly passionate about young people and helping them realize their dreams. Another ridiculous element to his skill is that he was also a DJ. He was an artist. He had degrees in civil engineering and architecture. He was just this incredibly genius, creative mind who was also like a very close friend and collaborator of of Kanye West. Mm. But I think when you hear someone die so young who had so much skill and talent and genius to them so sad. I mean, all death is sad, but you just, someone like this, it just feels like he had so much more to give. So young as well. And I think anyone
2: who followed Virgil on Instagram would have been particularly surprised because there were posts going up all the time on his Instagram account about all the work that Off-White was doing, all the, the stuff that he was putting out into the world. And I'm imagining now that was being managed by someone within his team. And it would have been quite a shock, like a blast of cold water to the face to wake up and read that the person and you've been seeing updates from and all this activity from online has been battling this incredibly serious illness away from the camera and has now passed away. To contextualize this as well for our celebrity lovers who might not be in the fashion space, this was the creative mind behind Hailey Bieber's iconic wedding dress, that wedding dress that I think would be renowned as one of the favorite celebrity wedding dresses of the last 10 years. He also worked very very closely with Kim Kardashian who wrote on Twitter God doesn't make mistakes. I know that, but I still can't help asking why. Why Virgil? Why him so soon? It's simply hard to understand why. I have a hard time understanding why so many pure souls were taken away so early. Virgil, you were always so gentle, kind and calm. You somehow made time for everyone. We also talked about your superpower of calmness often. You always gave so much of yourself to the world because you wanted it to be doper. This one is hard to process. I can't even believe I'm writing this.
0: Yeah, British Vogue editor-in-chief Ed Edward Enniffle also called him a giant among men on Instagram, writing that he always worked to open the door to art and fashion for future generations so that they, unlike himself, would grow up in a creative world with people to mirror themselves in. I don't think we simply have enough time to talk about his impact and what he meant to so many people. I will put a link to a great profile of him written in The Cut in 2017 if people do want to read a little bit more. Mm. My fourth story, new book names Royal who asked about Archie's skin colour that is from news.com.au my 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 my. this really has been the story that sat as a thorn between Meghan and Harry and the royal family for the last year or so right oh I mean probably longer than that ever since the comment was given but publicly at least we've known about this yeah, Yeah, since early
2: March. So a refresher, that was when Harry and Meghan sat down with Oprah Winfrey to give that groundbreaking history-making televised interview. In that interview, Meghan said that the family, and I quote, had concerns and conversations about how dark Archie's skin might be when he's born, and that there were several conversations with Harry about, and I quote, what that would mean and what that would look like. Now, the concern, as Oprah put it back to the couple was that Archie might be, in quotation marks, too brown for the royal family, to which the couple accepted that assertion and said that was the inference of the comment.
0: Yeah. So Oprah later said on TV in a follow-up interview, Harry did not share the identity with me, but he wanted to make sure that I knew, and if I had an opportunity to share it, that it was not his grandmother nor his grandfather who were a part of those conversations. Now, a well-placed source who contributed to Christopher Anderson's brand new book called Brothers and Wives Inside the Private Lives of William, Kate, Harry and Meghan has reportedly shed more light on on what has gone down. I think in the wake of these reports coming out too, there's also been a whole other set of reports saying that Prince Charles might take legal action, but take from that what you will. I've just spoiled it already. (laughs) Well, here's a passage from the
2: article that broke this news. On November 27, 2017, the engagement of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle was announced at 5am. A A few hours later, Prince Charles sat down for breakfast and mused to his wife, Camilla, I wonder what the children will look like. Camilla was... and I quote, somewhat taken aback by the question and replied, well, absolutely gorgeous, I'm certain. Lowering his voice, Charles asked, I mean,
0: what do you think their children's complexion might be? This is just a really interesting assertion because I think generally people have kind of thought that it would have been Prince Charles in some way or another. Like it, it felt like the most likely person, but the timing here of it being on the day of the engagement rings strange to me because Prince Charles ended up walking Megan down the aisle and that was sold to the world as they have a really special bond. If her own dad can't walk her down the aisle, then perhaps Prince Charles is the natural next person knowing that this perhaps reportedly happened when they got engaged, that clearly was all a bit of a farce. Or they didn't know about the comment yet, that they were
2: told about the comment when she actually did fall pregnant. And so there was like that space a couple of years maybe even between the comment being said, Royal aides hearing it
0: and someone passing it on to (laughs) Meghan and Harry. That would also make sense. I think both things makes sense to Mm -hmm. me. But it it was all a bit smoke and mirrorsy, wasn't it, for such a long time before Harry and Meghan kind of broke out of the mould and told us the truth. Yeah, this book, I mean, we haven't even spoken about the royals in quite
2: some time. They've kind of gone to ground for a lot of the year. They haven't made it into the quick and dirty for months, I don't think. Yeah, I agree with that. This book does seem to be breaking some curious royal stories beyond this Archie headline. There's another story erupting out of this book, another claim that in December 2019, Queen Elizabeth allegedly asked a film crew to remove a photograph of Harry, Meghan, and Archie from the set of where she films her traditional Christmas message to the Commonwealth. Per the book, it says this. The Queen looked over at the table where the photographs she had so lovingly selected were arranged. All were fine but one, the Queen told the director. Per the author's source, the Queen pointed to the photo of Harry, Meghan and baby Archie and said, that one, I suppose we don't need that one. Do you believe it? Yes. Me too. Because this was just before they left. This was like a month before it was public knowledge that they were no longer full-time serving royals who are going to live in the The,
0: palace. This is the other thing that confuses me is because Meghan and Harry speak so lovingly about the Queen Mm -hmm. as if she's like their one saving grace in the royal family. And it's like maybe that is not the case. Maybe the Queen is so deified even to them that they have to protect her at all costs even if, again, she's made their life hard?
2: Well, I think they know sentiment towards the Queen is glowing. It is incredibly warm. Sentiment towards all royals is not that way, they might be a little bit smart to kind of cozy up to the Queen publicly because public sentiment n- might not fall in their favor if they ever say ill word of the Queen, even if it's legitimate, even if it's valid and realistic and all those things. I don't think that matters. I think a lot of people feel,
0: I feel weirdly defensive of the Queen and I don't even know why. I just will never be able to get enough juice out of this story. <laughs> it's <is> ridiculous. <laughs> My fifth story, Anthony Ramos and his fiance Jasmine Cephas Jones have split amid a viral TikTok video that Accused him of cheating. That is from BuzzFeed. I cannot get enough of this story. It is pretty wild. It is pretty juicy. Let's start, guys, with some important context. You know how everyone has been obsessed with Hamilton for the last few years. Everyone, perhaps, except everyone. for you and I. I. Gonna
2: Look, <laughs> I'm not going to lie to the
0: good people of this show. I
2: had never heard of these two before today, mm. but I'm hearing Annabelle. <laughs>
1: They're quite a big deal to those who are musically inclined. Well, if you've watched Hamilton, I watched it on Disney+, Plus. the two actually were co-stars on the yeah. show. Like so. main characters? They both played multiple characters. Oh, my God.
2: That this is-, is the bit that gets me. I kept reading articles about this. So, wait, so Jasmine plays Peggy Shuler and Maria Reynolds And then Anthony plays John
1: Lawrence and Philip Hamilton. They're just both that talented. (laughs) They just just had to change their demeanour and suddenly they're another character. May I ask one more question before we move on? Sure.
0: (laughs) Did either of their characters have a little love affair? Oh, I don't remember. It's a oh, long, long all right. play. So you're not really. I <laughs> watched either.
1: it once. It goes for hours. Okay,
0: okay. Anyway, these two garnered a kind of a cult following in terms of their relationship, didn't they? They got engaged on Christmas Eve in 2018 at a castle, no less. A classic. I don't know these two, but it just seems so them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so at the time, Jasmine posted on Instagram My beloved Anthony, on Christmas Eve, you got down on one knee and proposed to me in front of my favorite castle that I used to visit all. All the time as a child and what a moment it was all because of you. Yeah, and by all reports,
2: since that engagement in 2018, things have been going very, very well. So in June, Ramos told People Magazine that his fiancee is his rock. He added, she's a pillar. I'm truly just eternally grateful for her, man. I get excited when I think about it. So much so things were on the right trajectory. The engagement was going well that three weeks ago wedding invitations were sent out. They were ready to get married. They were ready to get married. The wedding was booked. Everything was going well until someone by the name of at Dear Jane 1
0: on TikTok entered the chat. Exactly. Now, if you haven't heard of the TikTok account Dear Jane 1, this is an account dedicated to recreating stories from like anonymous Tippers. Is that what we're going to call them? Tippers? Sure, tippers. It's based off anonymous tip-offs and the creator of this account kind of acts out the stories based on these tip-offs.
2: Yeah, what's curious though is it doesn't seem like every video that she recreates is something like a story that's been sent into her. Some of the stories are her own and it's very unclear when it comes to this particular video that is at the crux of this celebrity story. It's not clear whether this is her personal experience or if she's been sent it and she's not actually really close to the story. What we do know for sure is that in the video created by Dear Jane One, a Latino actor came into a strip club with a woman on his arm. She said that these two were all over each other. They were very affectionate, kind of kissing, tipping the dancers very, very well. And then after she recognized this very famous actor, did a Google of him and kind of went back through his history and learned very quickly that he was in a long-term, serious, committed relationship.
0: Exactly. Now, she also added like a one or two second clip at the end of this TikTok that tried to show the man that she was kind of Not naming, but alleging was Anthony Ramos in like a cap. You can't see much in that video, but she did show a video. To breadcrumb her followers even more, she shared like a People magazine headline about the actor's long term relationship with just like little words redacted. Really easy for people to like go on the internet and work out exactly who she was talking about. It became clear it was about Anthony Ramos. It was also that People article that we just referenced yes. before. It was
2: that very same interview where he referred to his fiance as his rock, said how excited he was, gave all of those glowing quotes. That was the one that she picked up. So obviously, people who are fanatical about Hamilton, people who love these two actors knew who the video was
0: about. Yeah, exactly. At the time, over Tuesday, there was a tiny bit of conjecture about whether it was real or not, naturally. But what happened was 24 hours after this video was published, news breaks, and that is from People magazine, that Anthony Ramos and Jasmine Cephas-Jones have ended their engagement after six years together. She has wiped her entire Instagram clean of him. He
2: is not there. And this happened in 24 hours. Like, how has it happened so, so quickly where this TikTok account, which, yes, has a following, but not like a crazy massive following where she would have instantly seen it. This has all kind of moved so quickly that I'm a little bit stunned. Like, I'm stunned that every major entertainment publication across America Has published that they've already split.
0: I've got a bit of whiplash. Yeah, hundred percent. And also, I think some people might be coming here, being like, "Well, maybe they'd split before this video was filmed." La la la. But you've got to remember, at the top of this segment, we did say reports emerged just weeks ago that they'd only just sent out their wedding invitations. Mm. So I'm not sure what else could possibly happen in that three weeks that would lead to the split. (laughs) It is sad. I think a lot of people are feeling sad about this. Because they seem to
1: be very loved. Maybe someone will make a musical out of this. Lin-Manuel Miranda, if you're listening, (laughs) (laughs) your faces. He's He's the Hamilton Hamilton guy.
0: He wrote Hamilton. Right. I think that's actually more embarrassing for us. I feel like we should have known that. But anyway. Oh, absolutely. If anyone's embarrassed (laughs) here,
2: it is not Annabelle (laughs) Lee. It's the two basic bitches who don't know shit about what's going on. Yeah, look, sorry about
1: that. But that is all I've got for you today. What a juicy story. Thank you.
0: Hmm. You've got mail. Yes. Those are very
1: powerful words.
2: We're back. You guys keep sending us your dilemmas, and by (laughs) God, we cannot stop answering them. I love this segment so, so much. Annabelle, would you do us
1: the honours? Of course. This one is so interesting. (laughs) I Okay, this listener. What did you just say? I don't know. Just go. (laughs) (laughs) She wrote, Shameless Girls, I want to die. I just did the stupidest thing maybe of my life and accidentally sent a snarky and bitchy message about a celebrity to her Instagram DMs instead of the group chat with my friends. (laughs) In the message, I was remarking how annoying she is and how she needs to shut the fuck up. I had no idea of my mistake until the celebrity replied, and then, the worst bit, shared my DM on her public Instagram story to more than 250,000 people. I have never felt so stupid, mean, or petty in my entire life. My girlfriends are telling me that it was a mistake and shit happens, but I can't get over it. I desperately want to apologise for the error and my stupidity, but the celebrity immediately blocked me and I have no way to contact her. I don't even know what I want to ask of you girls other than, does this make me a bad person?
0: Oh, man. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) the first thing I think or I thought when I saw this dilemma was there is an ugly layer here that I think will get out of the way very early. Which is that this is probably everybody's worst nightmare because so many of us, and I won't say everyone because I'm sure there are some great people that listen to this podcast who don't do this, (laughs) but I would say there are a lot of people who indulge in ugly behavior like this from time to time. Maybe you're not messaging someone saying, I hope this person shuts the fuck up, but you might be saying... or something to that effect.
2: Yeah, well, I think a lot of bonds are created sometimes by discussing between friends whose behaviour you approve of and whose behaviour you do not approve of or who you gel with or don't gel with. And that's not just the people you know in everyday life. That's parasocial relationships that you have with influencers and celebrities online.
0: Yeah, well, it's really interesting, this conversation, because it feels like a little bit of an overlap or it feels kind of like a mishmash of conversations we've had about gossiping before and conversations we've had about hate following before. We had a conversation on this mic that's one of my favourite about gossiping. It was called Welcome to Gossips Anonymous or something. And we had a conversation about how sometimes gossiping has always been framed as a very female thing and it's been derided. But in many ways, it's important for you to kind of lay down what you believe and what behaviour you align with and what behaviour you don't align with. But what happens when it crosses the line into bullying someone because you're sending a really abusive message? When it comes to hate following as well, it's really interesting because I don't think we've talked about hate following on this show, Mish, in a couple of years, but I do think friendship groups are bonded often through hate following too. And three years on after us talking about hate following for the first time, it's interesting because I still feel like I do it from time to time. Maybe not in a way that the term hate following kind of suits. Mm. Maybe the term hate following is wrong. What I find myself doing is disagreeing with other people's content and sometimes sharing that with someone else to explain that I disagree with that content.
2: Yeah, it's almost like for me, I agree with you. I think I still hate follow, not in the literal sense of clicking follow on someone that I genuinely don't have much in common with or don't see eye to eye with. I don't tend to follow them, but sometimes I check in with their content More almost in a like analytical way. Like I know that sounds so wanky because we can't call it analytical following. That doesn't (laughs) make any sense and it's nowhere near as catchy. But it's not that I hate these people. It's that I see them to be examples of
0: things that I generally dislike on social media and on the internet at large. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a case of finding those who I don't gel with and I have that in inverted commas on a values basis, I find them to be fascinating and confusing and very unpredictable because I want to know what makes you, you and me, me. Yeah. And I know that some people might listen to this and might even judge us for
2: still hate following three years after we did that segment. But I think it's very, very human. I find it fascinating what some people post, particularly when I disagree with it. There is a level of titillation that comes with following someone who every single day goes against and acts out things that go against what you hold to be important and your kind of moral and ethical fibre?
0: I would argue that some hate following, not all, because I think some hate following is also rooted again in like internalized misogyny and a lot of bias that a lot of people can't unpack in themselves. But some of it starts kind of earnestly in that kind of way. Like, as we said, what makes you, you and me, me and why are we so different? I think very rarely does it stay in that sort of earnest part of your mind and really does descend into bitchiness. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of where we're at now with this dilemma. I also think as the podcast has
2: grown and as naturally
0: our profiles
2: have grown, I'm sure there are people who might hate follow me, (laughs) which is a weird thing to accept that I can kind of straddle both lines. On one side, I could be hate followed because we have a following to some degree, but also I am doing hate following to other people. I kind of accept that. I think a lot of public figures accept that hate following or being hate followed is just a side to the industry. You are never going to be liked by every single person who comes across you. It is nigh on impossible to make that a thing. So I think we all accept it's going to happen. We just don't want to see it. And so as much as I say that, yes, sometimes I am guilty of doing this to other people and talking about online activity, particularly with you, Zara, it would also derail my entire day, if not my week, to
0: receive a message that was not intended for me, but is about me. Oh, it would derail like my month. There is no doubt about that. And I think that's probably important context, even just on here with this listener, not to make them feel in any way worse about what they've done. But to be honest about it, I want to start in terms of this dilemma about the responsibility of celebrities when it comes to sharing usernames of people who do send them messages like this. Like, should they be blanking out the name or should they be sharing the name And I think this is something that I have changed my mind on over the last few years. I think I probably used to argue on this podcast that it's the responsibility of the celebrity to blank out the name, that sometimes the pendulum can swing too far, that sometimes then you can send an army of followers after this person and suddenly the punishment far outweighs the crime. But I think now it really does depend on the nature of the comment and the person who's receiving it because you told me this incredible example of AFL footballers who Mm. together decided to start sharing the names of people who are abusing them.
2: Yeah, it was First Nations football players, AFL football players in 2019 who began a kind of grassroots campaign called Name and Shame. So whenever they received racist messages, whether they were intended for them or whether they were accidentally DM'd a racist message, they would actually share that person's profile, username, photo, whatever, to create this atmosphere of you can't get away with this shit. You're an adult. Actions have consequences. If you are going to be disgusting to me online, I will hold you publicly accountable for that. And I think that campaign had some pretty good success. Of course, we're still battling things like that all the time online when it comes to racism in particular. But I really, I think that campaign and watching on from the sidelines made me realize I've been a little bit backwards sometimes in my thinking on this. And I have matured, I think, a lot when it comes to this. At the end of the day, it sucks for this listener that she was ousted to 250,000 people I think even though it's also probably widespread that lots of people – maybe they're not going as far to say, shut the fuck up, but they're saying something negative online, even if that is widespread, that doesn't mean
0: that you are beyond consequences or you're beyond being held to account for that. Yeah, well, again, I guess for me, it just still does depend on what the nature of the message is. So Mm. not knowing that, it's kind of really hard to know whether I think the name should have been shared or not. But as a general sentiment, I agree with you. I think I've matured a lot over the years to understand why it can be really important sometimes to do that. The next question of how does someone actually redeem themselves in this context? especially after they've been blocked, is a really interesting one. I think if this listener has the ability to reach out to this person, I think they should try. Message once or twice max off a friend's account and laying everything bare. Cut the bullshit and own what you've done. Analyze why you were annoyed in like a really sort of self-reflective way and make it clear that this has everything to do with your stuff and nothing to do with them I will say, though, don't message more than once or twice. There was like this really interesting conversation we had on one of the episodes we've recorded for the books that changed my life, Mish, and I, I won't give all of it away and I won't spoil it, but it really did focus on this idea that sometimes you need to let things go when you fuck up, that incessantly trying to make amends for something can actually cause the person that you wronged more pain. That often it's not about making them feel better, but about making you feel better. Mm. And sometimes the hardest thing to do is to sit with what you did wrong, never be absolved for that, never kind of have someone accept your apology. But that is often the kindest and most generous thing Mm. to do, rather than constantly kind of Chasing demanding. them, up and demanding their time yeah. and energy and acceptance of your apology. Yeah,
2: you should not be using this apology as a salve for your yeah. wrongdoings. Like, you need to accept that you fucked up. You need to make it clear to the person that you messaged accidentally that you fucked up and that you know that and that you're sorry. But the more you try and demand that they forgive you, the more you are actually selfishly using this apology for your own gain and to kind of clear your mind and make you feel at peace again. And unfortunately, that's something you need to go away and do in your own time. I also don't want this listener to sit back and say, oh, well, I can't message her. She blocked me. You can. Like you can find ways to message this person. I am sure they are elsewhere on the internet. I am sure if you get a little bit savvy and spend 30 seconds to a minute, you will find a manager's email or some other contact mechanism to reach out to them. Don't let you being blocked stop you from doing one minute of work to find another way to reach out. They're on Twitter or they're on TikTok or they're on something. You can find them somehow. Please don't rest on your laurels and go, Oh well, Too there's hard. nothing I can do about <laughs> yeah. this. She's completely stopped me from reaching out. She blocked you probably because she had a massive anxiety response, and she didn't want to deal with you. You
0: were like, you made her day significantly worse. Find a way to make it better. Yeah, but I will say, just to have that element of compassion here with the question of like, am I a bad person? Of course, no, you're not a bad no. person. Like, if you're a bad person, then I would hazard a guess that a good chunk of people listening to this would be classified as a bad person, but the difference between them and you is that you got caught and nobody else did. Mm. So I really don't think it makes you a bad person. You accidentally fucked up. And the best thing you can do beyond trying to contact them once or twice is really start analyzing your own hate following with all of this in mind and really start analyzing how the bonds of your friendships are forged. Are they forged through talking about other people all the time? And in your case, is that a really healthy addition to your life? I'm not saying, please don't don't misconstrue what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can never have a vent about anything in your whole life, but Mm -hmm. I think it's worth analysing what percentage or what proportion of conversations are taken up by talking about other people and is that healthy and could this be a wake-up call in some way just regarding the proportions of conversations that are taken up by other people?
2: Yeah, and to also say to this listener, A bad person wouldn't message a podcast and feel distressed about it. A bad person wouldn't go to their friends and say, oh my God, like I'm distraught. I've fucked up. I feel really awful. A bad person would have that message be sent. They'd either send it intentionally and hope the person sees it, which yes, believe me, there are plenty of people out there like that, or they would send it notice their mistake and pretend it never happened and do nothing to fix it. They would just go to ground and go about living their life and think that somehow the person on the receiving end of that message, the celebrity, deserved it or it's good that they received that. You are not a bad person because clearly you have a conscience. Clearly this doesn't line up with how you want to behave or how you want to be seen and that very fact means you're not a bad person.
1: You're probably a good person who just made a bad mistake. Yeah, and we all make them, so go gently on yourself.
2: Could this have happened to every single one of us? At this table, at some point across our lives. Yes. Probably. Not, I wouldn't, I don't think I say to people, shut the fuck up. I don't think I would say that. But I think maybe a slightly negative sentiment could have gone to that person instead of its desired recipient. So I think each of us, to some degree, maybe not this level of this message, we could have all found ourselves in a slightly similar situation.
0: Yeah, guys, that is all we've got time for today. We cannot wait to hear your thoughts. As always on the episode, we are on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. And as always on Friday, we will have your say Friday. We will ask you your thoughts on some of the things we spoke about today. Absolutely. Guys, we are on TikTok at
2: Shameless underscore podcast. Also, if you're wanting interview content right now, our series, The Books That Changed My Life, is officially live. New episodes are going up every... Tuesday.
0: Annabelle, how do you feel now that your episode's out in the world? So good. People have
1: been kind. It's been lovely.
0: That's wonderful. (laughs) Well, of course they've been kind because it was a great episode. So if you haven't listened to that episode, download the listener app to listen for free. We have another episode coming for you on Tuesday, but in the meantime, follow us on TikTok. Thanks guys. We'll see you next week. Bye.